let's get down to our feature guests. They've been sitting here quite quietly and quite patiently, but uh, chomping at the bit to join us from the Sydney Sirens. Who do you ask are the Sydney Sirens? Well, the Sydney Sirens are our team, our representative team in the National Women's Ice Hockey League of Australia. A small, growing, burgeoning competition for those that are passionate about and love their ice hockey. No, it's not just every second or every Canadian that is passionate about ice hockey being the national sport over there. But a lot of people around the world are just as passionate about it as well. And a small, growing group of uh, participants, supporters, officials, parents and loved ones are jumping on board the ice hockey bandwagon. Yes, there is the, uh, the news that was made during the week about that mooted demolition of the Macquarie Ice Rink, which is currently the home rink for one of the two Sydney teams in the Men's National uh, Ice Hockey League. Both, the, actually. Yes. Both. And both at the moment. But the Women's National Ice Hockey League, not quite as affected, but would have possibly had a knock-on effect down the line if the demolition took place. I'm sure they had their thoughts on it, as well as the fact that they're about to hit their post-season. Then there's a few games left before their playoffs start. First time they've actually got a full 14 final series this year with a five-team competition and uh, the Sirens are sitting quite snugly in second place on the ladder behind the arch-rivals Melbourne Ice. Kath McConney from the uh, administration, let's just say, of the, of the Sirens and star player Chloe Walker are both sitting right here in the Triple H studios opposite me and next to Keith. Good evening, ladies. It's great to have you on board and welcome to the bench. Thanks, Thanks for having us. All right, let's get straight down to business. We'll get the, we'll get the nasty stuff out of the way straight away. Um, I'm sure you would have been delighted or firstly dismayed and in despair over the AMP Capital announcement about the future initially of the Macquarie Ice Rink, which is one of the few competition rinks of, or ice rinks of competition standard we have in this country. Um, but then the backflip in the last 48 hours, 72 hours about AMP Capital's rethink. AMP Capital, of course, are the uh, capital arm of the financial giant AMP that actually own the Macquarie Shopping Centre and own that Macquarie Ice Rink. Yes, it definitely impacted us as we, that was actually our training rink last year and a lot of our girls actually play at that rink during the winter season. They Mm. play for the Bears Club in the women's competition throughout the Sydney competition there as well. A lot of our players also started playing hockey at that rink, so it's got a lot of sentimental value as well. Spiritual, one of the spiritual homes of 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 the code in this city. Oh yes, definitely. Now, I'm just wondering... The, the men's season runs throughout winter, which ma- makes it a lot easier for them to get quality ice. How do you go about getting quality ice when you're playing in the summer competition? Because what it takes to keep the ice cold in an Australian winter is tough enough because you find that as a, almost a Canadian summer is an Australian winter. When you get to an Australian summer, getting decent ice to skate on must be a real tough job. Um, honestly, it's not that bad. Um There'll definitely be them hot days, 40 degrees, 45, but the rinks never change. Now, we, we, what is the challenge, um, how, or how challenging, I should say, is it to get ice time in summer, given that on a day like today as well and what it's going to be tomorrow, people look at 
rinks in summer and almost see them as a refuge from the summer heat and trying to get in there and just skate recreationally. And And hence crowds. Crowds as well. And then you're putting your hand up. No, we, we, we actually want to play a proper competition game. It's definitely difficult getting the ice time that we require. So we had to cut back down to one training session a week this year, as we had two last year. Um, but we've managed to get an hour and a half secured ice time each week to go out there and then also our game time secured at Liverpool Ice Rink this year. Um, We did have obviously some feelers out to a couple of the other rinks but they were obviously lacking in ice time due to the summer heat but we also required to play in the summer because our national teams go away during our summer which is also obviously everybody else's winter Mm. so we need to have our season in the summer to be at the quality for those girls who are going away to be able to actually play at their highest level and be at the peak of their season when they actually go overseas and represent the country. And you wear that as a badge of honour, the the ice time issue, because the men's league, of course, is divided into two 15s and then a 20, but you just play 320, so you're playing longer minutes than the men. So you've got that to brag about against them. Yeah, definitely. And again, that comes back down to Worlds as well. So the girls that go away, the... um, the world's is stop time game and it's 320 minutes and you need to be playing that period of time to be able to be fit enough to be able to go there and perform for that whole time. What about uh, performing on a stage like the world's where you're now up against paid players? I mean, it's still very much in this part of the world, an amateur game where players have to work, study, fit in what they can, get rink time, whatever professionalism is starting to burgeon particularly in North America um, at their in their leagues and their domestic level okay they don't get paid the gazillions of dollars that the the NHL guys do but they do get paid they do start to make a bit eke out a bit of a living how hard is it to compete against those semi-professionals from a purely amateur base that you work off here It definitely is difficult, but we do have a lot more girls um, and a lot more players in general going overseas and actually playing in leagues overseas. There's a couple of girls, uh, I think there's four or five girls at the moment that are currently on the national team that are overseas playing in leagues, in um, universities, in um, just European leagues to bring up that standard of hockey back here, um, which it is obviously difficult being here in... um, not having the numbers and also Mm. the funding for that type of thing as well. And those teams are able to train all year round, whereas the national team sort of gets comes together from this league and then... And you've brought up the the matter of funding. Um, Being a non-Olympic... Well, being an Olympic sport, a winter Olympic sport, you probably get to first base when it comes to the Sports Commission... Uh, and to Sport Australia as far as funding because that's the main source of funding for all Olympic sports uh, in this country. Uh, but there's only so much of a very it's, it's shrinking pie, never decreasing, never shrinking pie for sports funding that is currently being uh, dished out by the current federal government. And you're competing against a heck of a lot of other Olympic sports in the winter program, which are deemed to be of medal prospects, particularly those with of uh, freestyle and surfboarding and, and all of and, and all of that, compared to ice hockey. Um, how hard is it to give keeping 
uh, keeping the faith and keeping the pitch to the sports commission when you virtually know you're not going to get much of much of a uh, of, of a positive answer as far as funding right from the get go. Some of the funding does actually come from the girls. So how well they do in the tournaments, you can um, mm. money comes back from the International Ice Hockey Federation mm. as well to the sport in Australia to go towards developing the sport yeah. um, as well. But a lot of the girls do have to do their own fundraising um, and personally yeah. go out and actually... Do the old-fashioned raffle trick. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we do for our season as well because the sirens also pay for their season and it's quite expensive in Australia to play this sport and to be able to travel interstate Mm. on those flights and everything. So we also do our Without sponsorship of any, of any major sort, it's hard yakker. Uh, Chloe, you could probably answer that question. You probably have to double up as not only player but fundraiser, raffle ticket seller, standing out where, in the front of wherever, trying to press the flesh. How hard a sell is it out there in, a, in the middle of a, an Australian summer to sell the sport of ice hockey, basically, because that's what you're doing? Um, so I play for the Australian under-18s ice hockey women's team. Um, so it's not that hard to actually find people who will mm-hmm. actually help. So what I have to do as um, a young woman is I have to go out and sell T-shirts so I can actually afford to go overseas and play the sport that I love. How hard is that? Um, it's not that hard. You just ask people in the community, community of hockey that love it. Mm. and then. I, I mean, how hard is it that you even have to contemplate doing that when you see what else goes on around the world? Is there a time where you think, geez, damn it, I would love it if I could just go without having to worry about having to do all this, you know, T-shirt selling or whatever selling just to play the sport that I love for the country that I love? Um, definitely, that does go through my mind, but um, it's definitely also my parents have to pay for me, so I have to do as much as I can so they don't, they can spend as less as they can. Mr Walker, he's uh, sitting outside uh, listening to this. Good evening to you, sir. Hopefully that's another pitch for perhaps a bit more money, but that's another story for another day, how much parents, uh, Chloe, have to spend out of their own pockets to basically fund the dreams of their kids in this sport. Now, the... The big challenge, though, at a lower level is keeping young players, as you say, involved, not just for the national team, but to go forward and simply play. Because depending on what rink you go to, it can vary anywhere from 200 to $700 an hour. Then you've got a stick. A decent stick will cost upwards of $100. You want to get a decent pair of skates, you're looking at a minimum 250 unless you really want to go a little bit on the cheap side. If you really want a decent pair rather than just going the basics, you're looking at five, six, seven hundred dollars. Helmets, mouth guards, shin pads, elbow guards. You can't put on those hits just wearing a jersey like rugby league players do because they're not getting hit into what is effectively wooden planks or plexiglass. So how much of an impact does the cost of ice hockey equipment, not just hiring the rink, but of the equipment have on younger players coming through the ranks when you can go and play sports like soccer or union or netball where you basically got to buy a pair of shoes, maybe a mouth guard and then... Or, or even cricket where you just buy a bat and maybe limited padding and that's it. Yeah. Um, definitely. When you go to um, local skating rinks and that, they'll definitely have um, old gear that you can actually borrow. Um, it's not the greatest, but it, it will do. And it's... Um, it's good for those who don't have stuff, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it'd be rough, but something else that's quite rough and want to get 
a really rough take on this because we look at the men's competition and they've got back-to-back games and they'll play at 4.30 on a Saturday afternoon and then they'll go and play at 4.30 the Sunday afternoon. The draw from just before Christmas had the Sirens playing at Liverpool at 5 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, backing up at 9 o'clock Sunday morning. Just how much of a physical toll does that take? Because I'm guessing for someone that doesn't live near the rink, you go and play, you get home, you fall asleep, and then you've got to make the alarm, and then you've got to get back to the rink the next day, or are you just going to try and bunk with someone and find a spare room or a spare lounge or something like that when you're not actually on the road? Yeah, we definitely um, team up and bill it, bill it our players that come from further away um, just to stay a little bit closer to the rink as well um, because it is important to rest and recover and also to hydrate. So you've got to make sure that obviously once you get off the rink, you're fueling yourself properly and getting enough sleep to be able to back it up the next day. So yeah, Sunday morning games are a little bit tough, um, especially we played uh, back-to-back in WA. Our Sunday morning game was at 7 a.m. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, oh, that's, that's, that's remarkable to play it at this sort of level of the game, to play uh, a, a start time of 7am, which means you have to be at the rink at 6am, which means you have to get up at some ungodly hour. Looking at the draw for the remainder of the season, at least when you travel to Melbourne next weekend to play the Ice, the arch rivals, they've been a little bit more generous. They've given you a 5pm Saturday 1.15pm Sunday time frame, which at least gives you a little bit of rest on the Saturday night after you play, as well as the fact you're going to be together uh, as a group uh, away from home. Now, you mentioned, uh, well, you've both mentioned numbers and trying to uh, raise funds. What are the numbers like right now for uh, juniors in ice hockey in this city, uh, in this state? Where are we at with numbers there? Are they going up? down holding their own where's where's the talent coming from i'd say the numbers of our junior players are definitely increasing because we are seeing a lot of um like our adams and mites and there's a lot more more of those players at these tournaments and higher levels um they're actually running a lot more tournaments when you say atoms and mites these are under 12s under 14s we're talking about here Yes, and under under tens, I think, is the mites. Yeah, oh, yeah okay. Under tens <laughs> really are the mites, and the, and the atoms are the under twelves. Um, I, th- yeah, I believe. Under yeah, under twelves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of young players coming through, um, which is really nice to see, actually. So, um, but as Chloe mentioned before, a lot of older players will just donate their gear, or when kids mm. grow out of it, they'll donate back to the club, so that those players that are starting out um, and going to the development sessions before they even play a game of hockey and actually learn how to skate and learn how to move the puck Mm. Um, those players are having not having to forgo that cost of the full set of equipment because they are Mm. being able to use that equipment that someone has grown out of. What about keeping numbers of players of Chloe's age 17, 18, 19 which is the key to try and get a, a hardcore of senior established players in leagues and national teams to perhaps not only stay local but go international where are we at with numbers at Chloe's age level or, say, from 14s upwards, 16s, 18s, 20s? How are they looking? Um, we actually have camps running at the moment at um, Macquarie Ice Rink, um, the NSA camps. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also up in Newcastle. But we have a lot of girls now that are starting to skate and learn how to actually play hockey. Which is actually quite pleasant because all the other sports we know of, the traditional football codes and cricket, they seem to see that 14, 15, 16 age group 
break away and fall away when they discover late nights and parties. Or and, whatever the case may be, to and, discover other things in life. Yeah, and go off and maybe take up a, a trade or an apprenticeship and leave school and things like that. So, because they've got to have dollars in the pocket, whatever the case may be. Especially given that we just touched on the importance of having dollars in the pocket to be able to continue playing at an age where most parents will probably start turning around and saying, you know, start working and supporting yourself and you go and get a job delivering the papers or working at Kmart or McDonald's or something like that and then all of a sudden two weeks pay has to go on a pair of skates and then you've got to put them on lay-by and and go back and make the next 500 payments on them. And at the same time because you're now working you have to keep the job and that's the hard part of a lot of our amateur sports people that play at this level isn't it? That's when um, dedication and love of the sport comes in. Of which you have quite a bit. Now, tell me about the experience of going overseas. You were just saying to us in the green room before we came in on air that you went overseas with that Australian 18s team last year. I mean, I can't imagine what a thrill it would have been like to put on the green and gold, but what about the experience of touring and playing overseas in an international tournament? Uh for the first or second time, what sort? How was that as an experience? Full stop. Firstly, and then, um, how did it open your eyes to improving your own game? I actually got back on Monday from Spain. Mm-hmm. We all travelled down to Norway. Um, we had a training camp there for a week in a bit, and then we flew over to Spain for our World Championships. Uh, we didn't do um, great, I guess. We played the best we could, but we came fourth. Which is not to be, not to be yeah. sneezed at. It's not uh, the worst. It's not the worst. You beat some some nations home. But uh, what about the experience itself of actually travelling in an Australian team and and and, and wearing the colours and and doing your best for your country out on the ice? I've played for the Australian team for three years, I think now. Mm, mm. Um, the first year was absolutely amazing. I love it, and I still do to this day. Um, we have some rookies on the team as well this year, and I, knew, I know that they enjoyed it this year, and they always do every year. When you're there in that third, fourth year and the rookies come in, it's natural that perhaps, perhaps not yourself, but others take the mother hen roll on and they take them under the wing. And, oh, that's and, me, definitely. And that's, well, that is you. Okay, well how, yes. do you find, well, how do you find that? Is it something you're comfortable with? Oh, easy. It's just talking to your best friends, basically. Fair enough. All right. What about, before we get to the rest of this season the age old uh, question about the future you're at a stage now where you're you know you're 17 going on 18 and big decisions have to be made over the next 18 months 2 years as to what you do with this sport compared to the realities of what to do in life um it's something you may have put off for a long time but that decision is approaching rapidly. How do you go about wrestling with that decision in your own mind? The reality is I'm never giving up hockey. It's my love. What's the goal? To get on a semi-professional professional team in Europe, in the States? Would you be prepared to, to up and leave Australia and go to somewhere like Europe, like Canada, like the States to pursue the dream? Uh, my goal is to play for the older women's national team and to go to the Olympics. That that that's uh, I love the goal setting. How how far away is the women's team from being in Olympic competition at the moment? Because we know that we go to 
watch the men's and unfortunately the women's doesn't get coverage. And I, I would love just to see a hockey wall to wall and just take off that yeah, slalom. But that's, yeah, but that's, and, but, that's, but that's by the by. But we know that the, men's, another debate for another day. the men's team is really quite a way off because even the weakest European sides can still do quite well against them. How far away is the women's team? Is this a case of the Socceroos versus the Matildas where you're not that far away from stepping into that top tier or is it more a case of both equal standing as far as trying to push forward? Um, There's The girls are going away soon um, off to Czech I believe um, or Scotland and uh, they have to win this league, this division, to go up. So mm-hmm. if they win gold, they go up. And then next year, they have to win that division, and then that's back, um, and that's Olympics. Olympic yeah. qualification. So yeah. you probably uh, if two let, tiers, let, you're two tiers away yeah. from Olympic qualification. If this if this was English football, and you're looking to get into the Premier League, you're at the top of League One at the moment, and looking to get into the Championship Correct. before you can move up. Now. Before we get into the performance of the team and the hatred rivalry, sorry, with the Melbourne Ice, there's there's no hatred in hockey. No, nobody has any hatred in hockey. Ah, but what's the is is there much <laughs> of a is there much of a rivalry in the team uh, during the season? Because you've still got that winter competition, which still falls back to the Bears and the Ice Dogs. Because I know, having worked with the men's league, that that it's not necessarily always a friendly rivalry between the Bears and the Dogs. So is there that sort of rivalry between winter rivals in the Sirens team or, or does that all get set to one side? Oh, rivalries within the team? No, we're definitely during the season, we're a family during the season. Mm-hmm. So no one has any grudges against anyone in the team. It's a very, very good dynamic, actually. Everyone's able to jeer everyone else up. Um, the Sirens family is as that. It's just, it's a family. And then it's a screaming sibling rivalry in winter? <laughs> well, it's actually not too bad because the Sydney Sydney, com- Sydney competition, um, we're all still friends generally during that season. So Until you go out on the ice and then it's all bets <laughs> off. We definitely want to win no matter who we're playing for. So everyone mm. on our team is obviously competitive and that's how they get into the Sirens team from mm. that competition. Yeah, you have yeah. to be very competitive of course. Um, in nature to be able to perform like that and be able to actually be a part of the team. It's good um, to see you again yeah, in this winter competition. Let me just take a swing at your open wrist with my stick and see how well you handle the stick afterwards. Not, none of that? Just well, tough <laughs> Exactly. Depends on what the match officials pick up in back play. It's and not cheating if you don't get out. caught. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's half the trick, isn't it? All right. We look at this uh, WIHL ladder and we see that the Melbourne Ice are on top on 7-1. and one. The Sydney Sirens are second at five and two. The newcomers, the uh, Perth Inferno, in for the first time this year, sitting up in third place on three and five. You then go back to the Brisbane Goannas on two and five, and the Adelaide Rush out of the four on two and six. Uh, this is a weekend off in the league, and next weekend, it's the trip to Melbourne. A lot of uh, people are probably saying that this is going to be a dress rehearsal for the bigger stakes at the end of March, but... You travel to the O'Brien Group Arena for that double header against the Melbourne Ice on Saturday afternoon at 5pm and Sunday afternoon at 1.15. Realistically, the Ice have only lost the one game this season. They're favourites to win the competition again. But you've always been there snapping at the heels. What about this weekend, uh, Chloe, uh, coming up? What's the preparation going to be like for this uh, double header against what a lot of people would still say Rivalries aside, have been the benchmark of the competition for some time. Um, they are a tough team, but 
yet again, they are just a team. Um, you got to go out hard. So this whole week, um, you got to be mentally prepared, getting, building up to that. You got to be physically prepared. Um, definitely talk to other girls, make sure they're ready, they're mentally and physically prepared also. Well, what's the best way to break the ice team down? Because they are strong across the uh, across the ice, aren't they? Yeah, they from, are. from the forward line all the way to the backcourt and yeah. then all the way into their, their goaltender. They're, yeah. they're, 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 they're hard to break down. So how do you go about doing that? Um, Slashing. <laughs> they are very hard to break down. Um, they all, they're a tough team, but you definitely got to, we just got to skate rings around them, that's all. Now, in terms of the performance of the Sirens team itself, I'm, I'm really taken by the goaltending before we get into before we get into the skaters because um, your main goaltender Sarah Dogramachi, um, she's got a three and one record. She's saving at nine thirteen, but then I look at your backup goaltender. And for Olivia, those that don't know, nine thirteen is the percentage of saves to shots, basically. Yeah, so if a if a shot is going to enter the goal, we do have to. Teach some of our so, lay people. Yes. Here. So in soccer, they have shots on goal and shots on target. Shots on goal doesn't matter in hockey. It's a shot on target. It, if it's not on target, it's not a shot on goal. Correct. It's shots on goal. Shot uh, saves of shots on goal divided yes. by total shots on goal. Yes. Sarah right. is saving at nine thirteen. Is she under much pressure to keep her spot from Olivia? Who's I, I, I had to double check when I saw that save percentage of nine six nine because that's unheard of. Even if it is only across the, the percentage two games. being zero point nine one three. Of course, um, of um, one of course would be saving every shot. Zero point nine one three is the percentage of shots saved to shots. It's effectively 91.3, saving 91.3% of shots. shots on goal. As opposed to Olivia, who's saving almost 97%. Is Olivia pushing to get that starting spot, or has Sarah got that pretty much locked up? All three of our goalies are great players. Um, Olivia is our youngest one, and she is amazing at what she's doing, and she's just growing as a player and a person. In terms of the offense, would I be right in looking at these numbers? You've got Shana Godfrey, who's put up 18 points in eight games, Kristen Embry, 13 in eight, and then Stephanie Cochran, 12 in eight. Would that be your top line, or do, does that get distributed across the, the two or three, maybe even four lines of offense that you, that you can rotate through the game? Um, those players are on our top two lines, actually. So Shana and Steph are on our, um, one of our one of our lines and then Kristen's on another line. We never really rate our lines as one, two and three. Mm -hmm. So basically we go into each game um, as equal Mm -hmm. and each line's got a different role to do, obviously. So sometimes we'll line match. So maybe um, the other line will actually go out against their strongest line Mm -hmm. and wear them out. And then we'll go on against one of the weaker lines or one of the other lines will go on against the weaker lines to be able to get those points up. Now, to explain the concept of lines, mm. you've got the five players, you've got three offensive players at any one time, assuming that you've got all the players on the ice. Those three will usually play as a combination and then you rotate another three on to get to know each other and occasionally you'll mix them up. So with, with that... With that non-ranking of lines and the fact that those players are evenly distributed, would I be right in looking at that and saying that you've got quite a bit of depth scoring there as opposed to just relying on those top couple of lines? Yeah, we definitely have depth in all three lines um, this year and even even our reserves that don't get to play um, as often, but we, they prove that obviously they deserve a spot on the team and um, they'll manage to get some ice time in one of our home games 
uh, recently. Now, well. is there any ritual post-season, once the season's all over, um, a player that plays in a certain number of games but doesn't get a goal has to do some sort of ritual um, and buy everyone drinks or um, have to go and do something out of the ordinary? Because I'm looking here <laughs> at a particular player who has no goals and two assists by the name of Chloe Walker, not mentioning any names. So, <laughs> But you're scoring at international level. You were telling us yeah. about a slap shot from point before we went on air, but you can't get one in the league. No, I don't know what's wrong. Um, I'm definitely trying, though, my hardest. It's just not, it's just not happening. You're going to crash the net and try and take out the goaltender? Or? Oh, yeah, on PP. That, that would be the power play, which is, again, explaining to those new people. When you do get penalised in hockey, you and do drop... And sin binned for, or sent uh, to spend that, time off the, off the, off the ice yeah. in what is the equivalent to the sin bin. That's what's known as the power play, because then that reduces your team numbers on the ice to, say, to four... Mm-hmm. Uh, compared to the opposition's five. And so, therefore, you've got the advantage, in theory, in the power play to move the puck around in a uh, quicker motion, which opens up the chances on scoring. And so what you're saying is that in a power play next weekend against the ice, you're hoping to take someone or someone hopefully gets sent to the sin bin and then that opens up the opportunity for you to barred through into the ice net on the power play whilst taking out the goaltender. Yep. Is that what you're... Is, is or that a, the way a, to a, a, screen the goaltender, not necessarily take them out. And, well, if it's you can get away with it, absolutely. I know it's but, screening, but we all yeah. know screening is taking out. Come on now. Well, that, that's true. So you're, you'd, you'd be one of the players on the power play who would be designated to go and screen? I'm lucky enough if I am, yes. Fantastic. That, that, that's probably the nicest way to score goals is just getting yep. hit. Because there was a goal that was scored, I think, in the last week by a player. Uh, I think it was an Arizona player uh, was actually screening the goalie and he got shunted to the side and then the shot came in and actually hit him in the head and ricocheted in. So yeah, if, if you're going to score a goal, I would suggest that that's probably not the way to do it rather than just Don't get a deflection. Well, Try not to use your it face. No, you don't it use was, your it, was, it was a legitimate You're goal, not supposed yeah. to head butt the puck into the net. It's not the idea, even though you're wearing a helmet. So, 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 so anyway. I was a player that tried that. It got ruled out. Yeah, <laughs> of course, because some, some officials will pick up on that. Now, rest of this WIHL season, is it really a two-horse race between yourselves and the ice for the title? Bearing in mind that the finals weekend will be played over one weekend in Adelaide. Um... Uh, in March, after the uh, regular home and away season is completed, you play in Melbourne next weekend and you've got a home doubleheader against the Brisbane Goannas at your home rink in Liverpool on the weekend of February 16 and 17 before the playoffs, that one weekend in Adelaide. Is it really yourselves and, and Melbourne and then a gap to the rest, allowing for the fact that Perth have done well in their first season in the league? Yeah, I think um, I think definitely that Perth is a bit of a dark horse um, coming through. They've com- like throughout the season in the games that they've actually played so far, they've consistently gotten better. So they actually proved that against Melbourne. I think last weekend uh, in the first game against Melbourne, I don't think Melbourne knew what to expect. Um, and and they, hence their first loss for the season. Yeah, exactly. And it was quite convincing. It wasn't uh, wasn't a small margin there as it should have been a like closer game if Melbourne was. Truly, mm. Um, mm. yeah. So I think I think Perth might be a bit of a dark horse. So especially if you end up having to play them in the two versus three semi final on finals weekend in Adelaide, the draw works out one versus four, two versus three. So nominally at the moment it would be Melbourne versus uh, the Goannas in one semi final. That'd be Melbourne v Brisbane, and then yourselves versus Perth Inferno in the other semi final with the two winners to square off. But 
look, stranger things have happened. Uh, all right, look, we, we've touched on the NHL. We can't let you go without nominating your NHL team, both of you. Oh, my team is definitely the Detroit Red Wings. Mm-hmm. Um, we are having a shocking season, but they've but you got to keep the faith. Faith. not as bad as some. <laughs> yeah. Keep the faith. You got to keep the faith. But they have always been my team, and I don't jump ship. So, favorite player, Datsuk. Even though he's not there anymore, but he's set to make a comeback. His contract is currently up in the KHL and potentially coming back to the NHL, but maybe not for the... Arizona still holds the rights on that, don't they? But it expires at the end of the season? Uh, Expires, yeah, in July, I think. So he could come back for a swan song. Um, I was going to say at the Joe, but they don't play there anymore. It's Little Caesars Arena, isn't it, now? They they moved out of the Joe because it was getting a bit dated, but... one one more season for the road probably wouldn't be a bad thing, especially if they can flip him at a deadline and get some picks out of it. Oh, definitely. And he's definitely still playing at a top level mm. um, hockey being in the KHL. So, mm. yeah. Chloe? Um, I have about three teams, actually. Well, let's run through them. We've got... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Washington Capitals, Boston Bruins, and um, Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> a, a, band, a bandwagon jumper and two original six teams. Oh, I like oh, it. Geez. So between you, you've got half the original six covered. Yep. <laughs> Who's your favourite player? Oh, Nathan Walker was, but then I'm pretty sure he went down a league. So that's all right, though. That's right. He's playing in Hershey yeah. at the moment. He did yeah. He did get waved to Edmonton and then waved back to Washington, yeah, though. Did. So at least he's still in the system. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, Ovechkin. I hope you're not taking the lead on him in terms of how much he can drink in the off season. <laughs> I, I, I think he's still. What are you suggesting there? Well, he, come every on. T- every photo you had after he won the Stanley Cup was of him with beer in hand. You're until not the suggesting <laughs> these are these are athletes in the prime of their life. They're trying to make their way in the sport. You can't suggest that they're doing those sort of things. I'm just ho- I'm just hoping that's I not know, the case. I know they're going to Adelaide for the finals because it's about the only place they can let their hair down legally, but that's... I mean, after finals versus Melbourne and we win, then maybe ask my parents oh, for I like one. that. When we win. When we win. I like that. Sounds are a third period team. Oh, okay. So you... you do come good at the back of the games. You, yep. Are you a slow starting team and come um, good at the back, or is it just that you can hold your own and then you just almost outskate them? It's definitely um, mentally sometimes. We just aren't ready, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely after going back into the change rooms, talking to each other, seeing where we're at, getting the talk from the coach, we definitely come back and we always are a third period team. What about this rivalry then with the Melbourne Ice? You've been the, you know, the. Almost the foundation of the league and dominated the league for so long. Well, just how serious, paint us a picture, either of you, both of you, just how serious this um, this rivalry is. Does it, is it hatred? Is it genuine hatred or is it just really deep-seated rivalry where you just want to beat the you-know-what out of them? It's definitely a love-hate relationship with um, with the Melbourne Ice players. Obviously, uh, when you go away to... What about the club itself, the administration? Because there are some in, in the Ice administration which, dare I say it, like to think they created created the puck themselves, uh, dare I say or, I won't, or should I leave that one alone? I think we'll we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> they're they're right. looking at me seeking guidance on how do we get away from this question. <laughs> All right, okay, well... Is there, we'll, go, is there, we'll go back to the original answer then about the love-hate relationship. 
Tell me about that. Yeah, we definitely have a love-hate relationship with the girls on um, the Melbourne team because obviously a lot of us have been playing in the league for a very long time mm. and we know some of the other players have been playing in the league for a very long time. And um, basically, obviously, you never forget what happens on the ice, mm. but as soon as you're off the ice... It's you're off the ice, so you can be friends again off the ice after the second game for the weekend. So, <laughs> yeah. is there is there much of an aura that the ice women carry with them? Given that of the five teams in the women's league, the ice is the only one that is a, a pardon the pun sister team to a men's league team because you've got the Bears and the Ice Dogs in the men's but you've got the Sirens in uh, in the women's competition. You've got the Rush in Adelaide in Adelaide, um, but you've got the Adrenaline in Adelaide. You've got the Inferno in Perth but then you've got the Perth Thunder. Um, Brisbane don't have a team anymore. I think the last team might have been on the Gold Coast Correct. in the men's league and there's no Newcastle, Canberra presence in the women's league. So do, do the Melbourne Ice women's side carry that sort of not necessarily arrogance but aura and um, prestige around with them or do they sort of let that go by the wayside? I really don't know how much affiliation that they actually have with the men's team. As you say, we play different seasons, so the men are playing in the winter mm. and the, the women are playing in the summer, um, but you really have to go to one of their games. So we get a lot of um, a lot of help with the Bears and the Ice Dogs with promotional things at their games during their season um, to promote us. We go down and help with um, International Women's Day and things like that. Mm. They always put something on um, and like announce and obviously help us through their season. Um, so very supportive clubs, even though we're not actually wearing the same jersey mm. as them or affiliated. I think it's they're supporting the sport. The sport, yeah, and the Sydney branch of that sport as well. Mm. Mm. Okay, crystal ball time. Where do you? Well, first of all, um, uh, a quiet tip for next weekend. I know you're going to say you'll win both games, but will you be happy to walk away with a one-one split? Never. <laughs> uh, realistically, Kath, I think is it a one-one split weekend? You'll be happy to take that. If someone came up to you and said, "Sign here for a one-one split right now," you say, "Thanks very much." Where do I sign? Chloe's saying no. No, no we definitely, we definitely want to beat them in their own barn. So yeah. it's, um, it's as we say, it's a love hate. We hate to lose to them. Um, and we love winning against them. So you get the W for the weekend. Yeah, That's what we and need. I think that'll actually bring our. Uh, if we look at the standings, that actually brings us. Um, it'll put you in front. It'll put us it? in front. Yeah. Put it on top so of the table. Us, yeah, would if put you us win in a both games for the finals. Yeah, mm. yeah. All right, um, and then finals are a different kettle of fish. But you would genuinely expect to be there in the big one, second weekend in March in Adelaide on that last day. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think that, that laugh says it all. <laughs> now, crystal ball time. Where would you like to see the sport in, say, 10 years' time at a women's level, even men's level in this country? Where would you like it to be? But also, where do you think it will actually be at in, say, 10 years' time? Given that women's sport is generally on the march forward in this country, in other sports... Um, led by cricket, but with WAFL, WNRL, WNBL back on a resurgent uh, footing. Um, uh, the general uh, positivity that is behind, uh, you know, women going forward in this country. Where do you want the sport to be? Where do you think it will actually end up? 
Um, it's a little bit hard at the moment for some girls and myself, knowing that there are a few more rules coming into the sport, um, which is um, not allowing us to play a certain age group, um, like contact-wise. Um, so I know that I might be just doing a training year this year. Um, so I guess that kind of stops me a little bit there in my tracks. But um, 10 years' time, I hopefully things will change and guys will see girls in this sport a little bit differently. So with that, um, the new rule is that the uh, women will no longer be able to play at the midget age, which is under 17s, 18s? 18, yeah. Yeah, under 18s, whereas now they're going to have to jump straight from... Bantams. Uh, bantams to women. Straight into open women. Straight from yes. 16s to so say to open go, age, yes, which is a massive jump. Yeah, it's too big a jump to go in there and put up with the physicality that yeah. the open age group uh, would throw them into. So that, that, that does make it hard, almost stunts the growth of the sport at the women's level. Um, yeah, so how can that then be overcome? Well, it doesn't give them a lot of options. So hopefully in 10 years' time we'll have enough women playing the sport that we can actually have more junior levels in women's. So at the moment, they're forced to play mixed leagues. Mm. So they're playing with the boys, which is fine up until a certain age. And the reason that they're obviously taking them out of the midgets level, which is the Mm. under-18s, is for health and safety reasons, Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of other countries do not allow women to play in the under-18s because the boys do develop um, at that and they're going through growth spurts and things yeah. like that and a lot of women are still um, like smaller than the men yeah. at that stage whereas it's seen in the lower ages mm-hmm. that they're more physically um, of the same level. Because yeah. even, even though women do have that growth spurt earlier to go up, it's the boys who at that age have that growth spurt to go out before they go up yeah. and as opposed to... And the add men, muscle mass by comparison yeah, going out. to height. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know, as opposed I'm, to women who don't actually get that growth spurt out rather than mm-hmm. just the growth spurt up. Um, I don't agree with the rule. Um, I know a few other women don't actually um, because I know that um, the women's league that we have now is quite small um, and it's definitely not the greatest for um, Kath and myself, obviously, because we've played nationals, um, so it's not the greatest high league that we should be playing. Does it, or is it going to take somehow the Australian women's team to qualify for an Olympic Games at some time down the track, whether it be um, in uh, 2026, 2030, to uh, get to the level where the sport needs to go in this country? I believe it's going to be a lot slower than that because, as, as you say, like the numbers are growing, but the number of women in the country that are that are playing the sport, we really need to get the local leagues um, have more women's... So we need more age groups for women. So basically you've got... You play in a mixed division and then all of a sudden you play in open women's, yeah. which is an all-women's league, mm. um, whereas you're playing mixed because there aren't women's leagues to play in, whereas mm. obviously Canada, like North America, no. all of over there, there's a lot more players in that pool and they actually have women that mm. develop all the way through in women's leagues mm. so rather than having to play in a mixed league and that brings the numbers into the sport and also allows those women to mm. um, develop and grow mm. it's, I think the sport just really needs to grow its numbers before and at the same time hopefully maybe get that qualification for something like let's just say 20, 26, 2030, 2034 for instance it's a long term thing alright look we could go on for another couple of hours like this, but time is on the wing um, and um, it's just about beating us. Um, if you're uh, listening and you want to get out and watch some of 
These girls play high-energy, high-intensity action. February 16-17, Liverpool Ice Rink. They play the uh, the Brisbane uh, Goannas in their last regular season doubleheader on a Saturday and Sunday, and then they're off to the playoffs in Adelaide. Keith, uh, amongst others, will keep us in touch with that in future Friday nights on the bench and maybe even also on our sister program Splinters on a Tuesday night and at podcasts.com. Look, we thank you both, Chloe and Kath, for your time, um, especially on a Friday night of a long weekend where you could be doing other things, maybe going away or whatever the case may be. Good luck in Melbourne next weekend. Thank you. Thanks um, for having us too. Absolutely. We are looking to broaden the horizons, get support, other sports support women's sport and we look forward to having you back again in the not too distant future and good luck for the rest of the season and with both of you for the future in this sport we thank you for your time on the bench tonight thank you thanks so much great to have the ladies from the Sydney Sirens in here on this Friday night time though to talk cricket plenty happening in the world of cricket locally nationally and internationally hard to know where to start so we'll start locally from the Northern District Rangers they've uh, done some soul searching after last weekend's performances against Penrith we have our uh, friend a great friend of this program and this station Clayton Waters uh, who's joining us again online good evening to you sir Good afternoon, Tony, and good afternoon, everyone. Indeed. All right, then. Well, let's get down to the the nitty-gritty of um, the local stuff first. Um, a weekend that you'd probably like to forget last weekend up at Howell Oval at Penrith. Yes, the wicket did apparently look to turn square from ball one, but you're not going to win too many games of cricket when you get bowled out for under, under 100 twice on successive days, are you? No, we're not. Um, and look, you know, it was pretty embarrassing um, if we call it as it is um, for our first go back. And, and full credit where credit's due to Penrith. They came out and they bowled well and they bowled tight. Um, we gave them, unfortunately, too many opportunities to, to get out and and that's what we did. So, you know, we've had a big week of training this week and, and had a look at, you know, what our processes are with the bat and the like. And, um, you know, I think we've also addressed that, but then I think it's really key now that it's gone, moved on, we can't do anything about it now. So... Um, we're just going to progress, and um, I know the first grade boys are looking forward to this weekend. And you're saying the first grade boys because you've paid a price, personally yourself, um, um, after playing the first, what is it, eight, nine games, including all the T20s and the one-day stuff in first grade. Um, you uh, will be playing second grade at uh, North Sydney Oval tomorrow instead of first grade at Mark Taylor. How was that, or how hard was that to take? Uh, look, it's never easy being dropped. I don't think you ever get used to it. Um, and I've been dropped a few times, obviously, in my 13-year you know, career at NDs. And it's just something that um, is part of cricket. And look, you know, it's, it, we have a really strong club. Um, and I'm absolutely ecstatic for Ollie Hing, who's going to be coming up and, and keeping in first grade. He's a very, very good gloveman. And I think someone who's going to be occupying that first grade spot for, for a long time um, into the future of our club. So... Look, I, I, all I have to do is reflect and as I go out into the weekend into second grade is, um, is perform a little bit better and, and that's what I need to do. So I'm looking forward to getting out with the two boys again and, and hopefully um, get some good performances on the board and see if I can get make my way back up towards the end of the year. Speaking of twos, the, you are the defending uh, champions in second grade and you're still uh, very close to, if not inside the six. And if you're going to make a comeback as a batsman, uh, and you want to get some form, you'd probably hand pick North Sydney Oval as the venue to come back on. 
Very flat wicket. It's going to be hot weather tomorrow. Postage stamp outfield. Once you get in on North Sydney Oval, you can make plenty of runs. It's probably... You know, if you you probably didn't want to be dropped, but if you were going to be dropped and you want to come back somewhere, geez, you'd want to come back at somewhere like Bear Park. Yeah, I've never, I've never actually played at North Sydney number two, so I need twelve years of cricket. So it's actually quite interesting. Um, first time playing out there, so I'm really looking forward to it. And you know, the two boys are a fantastic group, and obviously being defending champions, it's going to be good to play with a couple of those guys again, and particularly under um, under Daniel Friedrich again as a good mate of mine. So. I'm very much looking forward to it, and for me, it's just going to be another game of cricket. I'm going to go out there and try and hit some balls to the fence, and um, when the ball comes my way, hopefully catch it. So I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, North Sydney are a strong side. They they did lose the previous week, but in saying that, uh, they've got a really strong team in first grade, so they're going to bring a lot of uh, you know good talent there, and I think that's going to filter down into the lower grades as well. So you know, as a club, we really need to bounce back this weekend, and so we'll be looking to hopefully do that in a big way in the in the one day. And indeed, the second grade side are coming off that remarkable tie last weekend to Penrith at Mark Taylor Oval. That dramatic match where 20 wickets fell and barely 250 runs were scored, uh, and the last wicket fell at nine for 124 when the scores were level. Yeah, it was one of those crazy days, and I think cricket's a funny game, and that really was one of them. Yeah, we were looking like we were doing it quite easy, and then. A little bit of a batting collapse at the end, and and probably just not switching on in, in certain parts, and uh, unfortunately it ended up in a tie, and you know that that is cricket in that sense, and you know that we've talked about that this week, and you know, again we just move on, you know that that happens, it's a bit of a freak game, and you know one thing to go either way, and it can totally change, but um, obviously we look to rectify that this weekend against the Bears. In twos, Norths have lost their last two games. They're sitting back on 19 points. And NDs are sitting still in sixth, inside the sixth, on 34 points, equal on points with Manly. They have a far superior net run rate. But when you look at first grade, I cannot remember as tight a first grade competition as this, Clayton, in a heck of a long time. Maybe going back 25, 30 years. Between sixth and 16th, 11 teams are covered by only just six points. That's one win. And Northern District are still in the middle of that 11-team cluster on 26 points, only five points outside the six, even though they sit in 14th. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, as I said you know, a couple of weeks ago, there's no such thing as an easy game in grey cricket anymore where you might be able to determine those top teams quickly and, and maybe just one of four teams. You know, it just shows that you know, the bottom team can knock the top team off at any point and, and, and vice versa. So... I think it's a real testament to, in a sense, the players that we've got running around at first grade at the moment. That you know, there seems to be a pretty good talent pool spread across all teams, and you know, on on their days they can they can really perform. And you know, it seems like that it's been a bit of a mixed bag. So it's also quite dangerous in that sense because if you lose two games on the bounce, you can actually end up more at the bottom of the table. But on the other foot, if you win two or three in a row, you can actually shoot yourself up quite quickly. So you want to try and get these early wins, particularly after Christmas, you know, quite quickly. Um, so you don't get that back end of that season and have to rely on run rates and having to win by bonus points and, and all that jazz. So I think it'll be really key that they, um, they have a big win tomorrow and continue going. OK, what about the match, The fact that it is North Sydney and um, it is going to be in first grade at Mark Taylor Oval, the special Australia Day round. Um, it doubles up as the last 
ODI round for the first grade OD, uh, one day competition. Didn't say ODI, did I? Know. One day international. Sometimes it's played like it is you an international. Did say ODI, I did Tony. say ODI, but it's the last one day round, which means it's also uh, the last round for the first grade one day competition. Northern District and North Sydney are equal on points. Two wins from three starts. They both in, sit inside the top eight. So, so much to play for in that first grade game tomorrow. Uh, not only for the top six overall, but also the top eight for the one-day cup. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the winner goes through. You know, it's it simply as that. So, um, And we definitely want to be those ones that go through. And now North Sydney are going to be a tough side. They've, they've you know, quite evidently and, and publicly gone through a, a rebuild. Um, you know, the crossways coming over and a couple of other players, such as Avendano and the like, who are very threatening up that top order and they've got a lot of runs in them. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see how our bowlers go, but I think they're very much up to the task and I think we'll look forward to playing at home um, against them and it's going to be a huge game. If it's not game of the round, I don't, I don't know what is. So um, disappointing, I won't be a part of it, but it's going to be an absolute cracker of a game. I think it's going to be very, very good to watch. OK, you look at the North Sydney side and the two standouts... Adam Crosswaite, 709 runs at 78.8, leading the first grade aggregate and averages this season. Tom Jaggett, third on the aggregate, 571 runs at 63.4. They're both coming off big last start hundreds or last start hundreds in their last two games. In the case of Adam Crosswaite, Tom Jaggett coming off a big hundred last week. Is it just as simple as the likes of Chris Wright, Nathan Smith, Ross Pawson against Jagget and Crossweight that will decide this match? Oh, it's going to be a great battle. <laughs> Either way, you know. In saying that, cricket is a funny game and it's only going to take two balls to get rid of those guys. So we can hope that we can you know, get it nice and early and particularly Nathan Smith and Chris Wright with the white ball just been on fire. And you know, Wrighty's been a really good begin from us from, from the UK and, and Smithy's nearly up the top of the wickets in the comp. So you know, we'll just look to, um, I think, hit our areas very quickly and Hopefully they either give us one early, which we can take, and then uh, move along from there. So it's going to be a very interesting challenge and, and really good um, to watch between bat and ball. It's going to be very interesting. Indeed. But on the other hand, the bottom line is that the changes have been made to try and get the batting of the Rangers right because that's been the Achilles heel all summer so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was just a bit of a reflection. So we need to you know, step up and, and make a decision of who's going to get up and score these runs and take a bit of ownership on that and, you know, the, the prices have been paid for for a couple of the boys, including myself, and you know, and, and, and fairly as well. You know, so we need to be scoring runs, and if it's that competitive across the club, which we want it to be, uh, it puts that pressure on to score those runs, and we want to reward those guys who are scoring the runs. So, I, you know, as a as a club captain, I'm stoked to see that is the uh, the current stance of the club that we have those guys pushing uh, first grade spots, and um, that's what we'd like to see across all of grades. So. You know, someone's got to score the runs, and I'm hoping that um, one of the boys in top six um, goes really big tomorrow. Nathan Smith, just for the record, has 19 wickets so far in first grade across all competitions this season at an average of 17.6, a strike rate of 38.74. That's a wicket every 38 balls and an economy rate of 2.73 runs per over across all competitions. He is uh, uh, one of the leaders. He's 13th as far as wicket takers are concerned so far this season. Devlin Malone with 35 wickets for Sydney University is the leading wicket taker in Sydney first grade. James Campbell for North Sydney will also be a factor tomorrow, no doubt. His 20 wickets for the season across all comps have cost 23.95 with a strike rate of 39. A wicket every 39 balls. Bit more expensive. 3.63 runs per over. Alright, let's have a look then at the rest of the matches in the first grade 
this weekend. Again, all matches are one-day games. Tomorrow, Australia Day in uh, all competitions with first grade using the white ball in their matches. Red ball in use everywhere else. Starting off, it's Fairfield. And, and all 10 games, as you mentioned now, all have uh, a bearing on this uh, top six in first grade. So tight is the competition. It, and so take note, early start at Rosedale for the first match we're looking at. Blacktown versus Fairfield Liverpool. It's a 9am start at Rosedale tomorrow because of Australia Day celebrations uh, uh, elsewhere as well as the expected heat. It is predicted to get into the high 30s, early 40s uh, out in Sydney's west tomorrow. 42 degrees is the forecast top temperature, so the 9am start has been invoked to try and avoid that heat. Yeah, that's going to be really hot out there. And, you know, two teams, uh, Fairfield and Blacktown, who probably haven't performed as well as they wanted to in the one-day comp, but uh, it's going to be a tough game. Probably going to have to go with Blacktown. I think Gauchy and those guys are going to be a tad too good, even at the home ground. The local derby at Waverley on Australia Day sees Eastern Suburbs host the Randy Peets of Randwick Petersham. And, of course, no Warner, now no Bell Drummond for the Randy Peets. And Eastern Suburbs will once again have the services of Peter Neville. Yeah, another game that the other two teams are probably pretty disappointed with um, with how they've gone, obviously, with Randy Young winning one game and East not winning a game yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see who is back for the East side. Um, but I think Randwick are going to be too good for them. Now, at Chatswood, down the road from here... Uh, the uh, ever-improving St George, although they are without Copeland and Curtis Patterson on various duties in Brisbane, they take on Gordon. Huge game. Um, obviously, Gordon at home are uh, pretty strong with Axel and, and Harry Evans and the Collie up the top there. And it would just be interesting to see, obviously, with St George, Patterson out, Copeland out. Now, they're two massive names, and particularly um, there's some big runs lost there. So, But Stapleton got big runs for them last weekend, of course. He did, and he's a quality player, so he's really going to have to step up tomorrow. I'm probably going to take Gordon at home, though, to be too good. Now, speaking of hot, it's going to be damn hot out at Owen Earl Oval. 45 degrees predicted for Hawkesbury taking on Bankstown. I tell you what, out there with no wind and uh, the, uh, the cows roaming the... Uh, the uh, the cows roaming the fields nearby Owen Earl Oval. You wouldn't want certain things happening. It might get a bit smelly out there in the 45-degree heat tomorrow. I think I would have retired if I was playing one of those games this weekend. <laughs> That's just absolutely ridiculous. Look, Corkspree, Bankstown, they know their conditions out there well. been saying that. They're both on equal points, and one's in 7th and one's in 12th. But Corkspree, they've been a bit of a dark horse. And uh, Josh Clark and Forrest there out there to score some runs. But... I think Bankstown might be missing a few players, so I'm going to go with Hawkesbury. It's a 9 a.m. start, too, by the way, at Owen Earl Oval. They're taking a similar line to what's happening at Rosedale, due to the forecast heat. Hard to believe that Manly Warringah, Premiers only three years ago, are sitting last on the first-grade table in the Belvedere Cup. But they have 19 points. They're not that far out at the six, and they've got a bucket load of players absent for various reasons, um, and they're taking on the Sydney Tigers at Manly Oval tomorrow. Yeah, well, top of the table, Sydney in the, in the one-day comp, obviously, with 20 points. And they've won all three of their games. And, and Manly, I think, have only won one game. Um, it'll be really interesting to see. You know, Manly have got all their big players, unfortunately, but it hasn't affected them. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, but Sydney will be missing Menenti. 
Um, but they'll have a couple of other those uh, younger players coming through. But I think Sydney will be too good. Now, actually, Matt Mears and Shane Evans are back in the studio. You have some news on that. Well, teams announced earlier today both Edwards brothers will be playing for Manly, and I think... And Manenci has been named for Sydney Tigers. So a bit of experience definitely needed by Manly with uh, the amount of players out. Well, Lenton now out with a finger injury, didn't even play for the Thunder. So Last night, oh, Thursday night. Thursday night. So obviously Steve O'Keefe still probably under cotton wool, bit of an injury cloud over him, but good to see that a few of the other um, contracted players making their way back to grade probably need a bit of a run. Mickey Edwards hasn't been seen in the competition in the in the Big Bash so far, so probably just looking forward to getting a bowl under his belt. Absolutely. Well, that does make a difference, uh, Clayton. Both Edwards brothers back for Manly, especially Jack at the top of the order. Yeah, huge difference. You know, there, there's runs and, and definitely a lot of wickets there, and good on them for... Good on them and good on, you know, the Sixers and the likes for letting them come back and play. I think that's fantastic and it only strengthens the competition and um, even more. So, you know, that, that, that changes the game. You know, bring those three players back in if they go well. Um, I'm still going to put my money with Sydney, though. Let's go to Alan Border Oval and Parramatta take on Mossman. And, uh, well, look, Nick Bird is still scoring bucket loads of runs for Parramatta. He still has to be content with uh, sitting out, but Mossman had been in good form since Christmas. Yeah, they have. You know, they 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 turned it around since, so which has been fantastic for them. Parramatta have probably gone the other way um, since uh, since Christmas, so they're they're probably looking to bounce back. Very interesting to see how big they go after Christmas. Uh, Mossman, I reckon, might be a touch for them. Let's have a look at. Uh, well, we've already touched at length massively on the match at Mark Taylor Oval. Get down there ten o'clock tomorrow. Yes, there are a heck of other Australia Day activities around, but if you want to see white ball cricket at its best. Gee, like you mentioned, close to match of the round, Northern District versus North Sydney. And, uh, well, I suppose one thing you, in a way, won't miss, Clayton, is uh, the lip that the likes of the Crossweights and Jagged et al. bring, that they will bring out to the middle of Mark Taylor tomorrow. Because uh, you do get the full package with the Crossweight brothers, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know what, they can back it up too. But, you know, if they want to talk it, let's make sure they score 100. So, but I think NDs will win, and uh, we'll win with a bonus point. Oh, hey, geez, well, can, we might hold you to that. Anyway, at Howell Oval, Penrith, with the back of that outright win last week, take on Uni of New South Wales. No Matthew Gilks now for the students. So, sorry, for the Bumblebees after his magnificent performance on debut for the Thunder in Perth last night. Um, no surprise for those that have been following great cricket to see Gilks play the way he did for that 50. Just as important as Callum Ferguson's century, just quietly. But he's missing. So much will be relied upon David Dawson at the top of that Bumblebees order. A loss for Uni of New South Wales, and they'll tumble straight back into the pack. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, they're only on 15 points. So if they go down and a couple of teams above them you know, have a win, um, it's going to be too, you know, it's going to change the, the whole order. I think Uni New South Wales will be too good. And um, just on that, Gil, I think he had a fantastic game last night. There was a lot of talking about his drop catch, but anyone who's playing for him, I tell you what, you chuck on a pair of keeping gloves and, and see how you go. It's not easy. And I think the way he bounced back and scored a nearly match winning 50, um, you, know, you could argue, along with Callum Ferguson, I think it was fantastic. So. It's great to see him finally get his go, and I think he'll be the first of many games. Indeed. Um, bad luck for Jay Linden with the broken finger, but Gilks is a quality uh, player, no doubt about that, and a player of the future. Now at University Oval, number one, um, Sydney Uni, they just keep rolling along. They lead the club championship by nearly 200 points, and they're near or at the top of every grade, uh, and they take on a Campbelltown-Camden side who are still... Uh, reeling under the protest of that uh, controversial match at home uh, a fortnight ago. 
yeah, huge. And I think Sydney Uni are there in just a bit of a train at the moment, and they just keep chugging along, and they've got players in, and you know, I believe Larkin's going to be back as well, which is just an absolutely massive uh, in for them. So, you know, those little things, they all add up, and you know, I think Sydney Uni are just going to be far too good. If Nick Larkin is back in that Sydney University out, uh, lineup. We have had that confirmed, so he's a massive in. That's massive runs for them, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. You know, there's, there's a reason why he's been playing for the Stars and, and hitting them well, and I think when he comes back to grey cricket, um, he should dominate, and I think he will. Last match at Pratton Park. Well, the shock of the round last week was Western Suburbs' massive win over Campbelltown uh, that set the cat amongst the pigeons and moved them into finals calculations from the bottom of the ladder. Uh, but they, And they take on uh, Sutherland, who uh, uh, are reeling on the back of that upset loss to Fairfield last weekend, and they are now missing their big guns badly. Yeah, you know, the loss of you know, Smith, Watson, um, Dorsus, you know, there's three positions there that they've got to fill, and now, we played them in the one day as well, and um, you know they batted really well. And but we, you know, we batted and fielded well, and it'll be really interesting to see. And West, you know, it only takes one little game to get a bit of roll on if you got Ralph, but the likes like McMahon and those guys out there, I think they can they can really get a move on, and uh, it should be an interesting game to see. So I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm probably going to go Dublin. All right, but not with a lot of confidence. Okay, no. <laughs> indeed. Finally. Progress score from the Gabba. The day-night test is continuing. Australia slowly grinding their way on top. They're now 5 for 261 in the final session after the dinner break. Travis Head is 75. Curtis Patterson is 8. The batsman out today for Australia. The, the night watchman, Nathan Lyon, 1. Uh, Marcus Harris, 44. And Marnus Labashan, the last player out for 81. Still no Australian has scored a century in test cricket this summer. Maybe Travis Head, who's 75, is going to be the first. Yeah, I hope so. I'm watching it at the moment, and he's looking relatively good, so hopefully he can uh, just keep knuckling down, and he seems to be patient off 174, so hopefully through this tricky little twilight session, he can go all right and then build on tonight and hopefully uh, knock it over. All right, then. Uh, we'll leave you uh, to it, Clayton. It's it's hard to to, to, to back up and, and, uh, and, and speak after you've been dealt the blow during the week, but go out there and enjoy it tomorrow in the, in the, in the heat in, uh, in, in the twos. Um, at North Sydney Oval, like I say, on the, on the good, hard, fast wicket, even if it is North Sydney Oval number two, you can plonk it onto that... Uh, uh, Maybe a, if you, you can't hit it high enough to plonk it onto uh, uh, the ring of freeway. Onto no. the ring of freeway. You that, can. that uh, well, you're going to hit it over that over the big metal fence no, onto yeah. the freeway. Depending on you which blow. way you're hitting, too. If you're yeah, hitting you're from the bowling club end, you can actually <laughs> you can physically do it. It has happened before. Yeah, well, you guys have seen me bat, so you know that's probably not going to happen. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, we back you, mate. We back you. I'll talk to their spinners, and maybe if they can throw me up one on behalf of Triple HFM, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give a real mate, crack and see how it goes. Go for it. Just one last thing before you go, Clayton. Obviously, yeah. the Green Shield Grand Finals on Monday between our Rangers and the Manly Waratahs. Any thoughts on that? And will any of the boys go out there to support the, the Rangers under-16s? Yeah, absolutely. We've already had some talks about that and how we're going to get out there and, and support them. It was just an amazing day on Thursday. We had, you know, the whole great club was there ready for training and it was pretty much needed to run a ball from about 30 uh, runs onwards. And, because they were in trouble. They were 6 for 65 in that run, Chase, chasing a moderate total. Yeah, and it was, and then we were in trouble with the bat as well. I think we were 4 for 40 at the time with our three best, you know, arguably our three best batsmen um, to this date out. So um, it was just a fantastic afternoon and I think Yash Patel and 
way Varun um, bowled in that afternoon was absolutely brilliant. And then to sing the song with those ND's boys and about 30 of the other great guys in the room, I think it was a fantastic experience and probably one of my highlights of the year so far. So I'm hoping they can go one further on Monday and, and win the Greenfield comp, which they haven't won in a long time. So uh, fingers crossed they can get it done against a really strong manly side. Just going to say, uh, the, uh, these are the only two unbeaten teams in the competition still at this stage of the season. Manly have looked good. They had a big win in their semi-final over Blacktown. They made 240-plus and they bowled Blacktown out for 89 in reply. Uh, they're going to be tough to beat on the Manly Oval Dunghill as well. And uh, look, because it's pretty much the only event that could very well be on on Monday, the way this test match in Brisbane is going, it might be over by the time we get to Monday. Um, you could do a heck of a lot worse. The forecast is not... Not bad. It's going to be dry with no rain, a little bit of cloud around, but you can head over the escarpment on Monday, 10 a.m. start, Manly Oval on Monday for the AW Green Shield final. It should be a beauty. Yeah, it should be. We're really excited and we're really proud of the boys, how they've performed and how they've acted um, throughout this competition. I think you'll see a lot of these guys, they're already playing great cricket, but um, we'll definitely progress down further up the ranks, which is a great thing. So, yeah, we wish the boys luck and, um, yeah, we really hope they can get up. All right, then. We'll leave you to it. Many thanks for your time tonight. It's uh, uh, great to catch up with you, and uh, you can plonk one onto that freeway tomorrow. I'm sure you'll tell us about it next week. Thanks for your time, Clayton. Don't worry. I will. Thanks very much, guys. (laughs)